Hello everybody, welcome back to Politics on Trial. This is episode 4. This episode will regard Asian American discrimination in the United States. We will look at the model minority myth, how Asians have been treating during COVID, and then of course, cultural appropriation. Hope you enjoy! Up until the eve of the COVID-19 crisis, the prevailing narrative about Asian Americans was one of the model minority. The model minority concept developed during and after World War II, which posts that Asian Americans were the ideal immigrants of color to the United States due to their economic success. However, in the United States, Asian Americans have long been considered as a threat to a nation that promoted a whites-only immigration policy. They were called the Yellow Peril, unfit and unclean for citizenship in America. In the late 19th century, which would be around the 1890s, white nativists spread xenophobic propaganda about Chinese uncleanliness, as they called it, in San Francisco. This fueled the passage for the infamous Chinese Exclusion Act, the first law in the United States that barred immigration solely on race. Initially, the act placed a 10-year moratorium on all Chinese migration. Then, in the early 20th century, American officials in the Philippines, which was at that time a formal colony of the U.S., you know, denigrated and disrespected Filipinos for their supposedly unclean and uncivilized bodies. Colonial officers and doctors identified two enemies, Filipino insurgents against American rule and tropical diseases festering in native bodies. By pointing to the Filipinos' political and medical unruliness, these officials justified continued U.S. colonial rule in the islands. On February 19, 1942, President D. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066 to incarcerate people under suspicion as enemies to inland internment camps. While the order also affected German and Italian Americans on the East Coast, the vast majority of those incarcerated happened to be of Japanese descent. While many of them were naturalized citizens, being second- and third-generation Americans. Engineers who fought in the celebrated 442nd Regiment were coerced by the United States military to prove their loyalty to a country that locked them up simply for being Japanese. No expression of patriotism, not even being frontline workers in a pandemic, makes Asian migrants immune to racism. In the months since the coronavirus pandemic began, Thousands of Asians in the U.S. have become targets of harassments and assaults. The racist incidents began as the first cases of coronavirus spread across China last December and disinformation reigned supreme. As infections appeared in the U.S., President Trump repeatedly referred to COVID-19 as the China virus or the Chinese flu and pushed a disproved theory that it had originated in a Chinese lab. By April, an IPSOS poll found that 3 in 10 Americans blamed China or Chinese people for the virus. This is Donald Trump trying to hide his obvious dislike for people of different colors and trying to hide the fact that he did not do anything to stop it. For Asians in America, there's new tension in daily life. Asian businesses and properties have been vandalized with racist tags, and random individuals have been physically assaulted, verbally harassed, and shunned across the country. There's no official tally for how many incidents have occurred, 
But in late March, a congresswoman from California, uh, Judy Chu, estimated a hundred hate crimes a day were being committed against Asian Americans. This fear isn't new. In the past century and a half, the United States has made laws and national policies out of discrimination against ethnic groups. And that's spamming from the Chinese Exclusion Acts to the Japanese internment during World War II. Historians and activists alike fear that today's targeted political rhetoric and harassment mirrors moments in U.S. history when racism became state-sanctioned. Today, the Trump administration has continued directing blame for the virus towards China. A 57-page memo by the National Republican Senatorial Committee included a talking point for politicians to argue that calling COVID-19 the Chinese virus isn't racist. In July, Trump claimed that the Chinese government was fully responsible for concealing the virus and unleashing it upon the world. Moreover, the World Health Organization warns against associating diseases with specific locations in an attempt to minimize stigma and backlash. It's because there's a lack of accurate, disaggregated data on Asian Americans, which is crucial in assessing the health impact of COVID-19 on the Asian American population. While the aggregated Asian American death rate from COVID-19 is similar to that of white Americans, significant disparities emerge at the subgroup level. For example, Pacific Islanders are two to three times more likely to be diagnosed with the virus compared with the average in three states. In San Francisco, Asian Americans accounted for 13.7% of cases, but 52% of deaths. In Nevada, Asian Americans are dying at more than twice the rate of white Americans. Asian Americans have been the target of a unique rise in racist rhetoric and discrimination. It's been happening for a while, but the outbreak of COVID-19 really, really, really made it, you know, amplified it. Since the beginning of the outbreak, organizations have documented at least 1,900 hate incidents across 46 states. One-third of Americans reported witnessing other individuals blame Asian Americans for the outbreak, and reports of anti-Asian violence and assaults have been on the rise. Research has found that both overt racism and microaggression can worsen mental health. These incidents are already having a notable effect on the Asian American community's mental health. Crisis Text Line, which is a nonprofit group that provides free mental health support via text message, saw a staggering 39% increase in texts from Asian Americans in the first quarter of 2020. Think on that. That is a 39% increase. The community, well, they faced similar discrimination during the SARS outbreak all the way back in 2002. And based on research from that stigmatization, many have been discouraged from seeking care. Well, What's the effect of that? That resulted in underreported illnesses and even worse health outcomes. These mental health challenges are simply complicated further by additional barriers, such as providers that don't offer language services for Asian patients. And you have to keep in mind that mental health treatment is very, very stigmatized in the Asian American community. To show you a little comparison, only 5.8% of Asian Americans sought any type of mental health services or resources compared to 19% of white Americans. Approximately 2 million Asian Americans, a higher proportion than their share of the U.S. population, are putting themselves at 
at risk as fun frontline and essential workers. This is especially true in healthcare, where Asian Americans exceed the share of their population in 70%, 72%, excuse me, of high contact essential occupations in the medical field. Additionally, Asian Americans' personal appearance workers, such as cosmetologists and barbers, are employed at a relatively high rate at some of the first businesses to reopen their doors in the wake of COVID-19. Now let's review the topic of cultural appropriation versus appreciation. Fashion in countries across Asia in many things is beautiful and intricately designed. It's innovative and constantly evolving. And oftentimes it's religiously inspired and incredibly diverse. But one thing is that Asian fashion is not yours to borrow for an exotic party or music festival look. The Cambridge Dictionary defines cultural appropriation as the act of taking or using things from a culture that is not your own, especially without showing that you understand or respect this culture. Thankfully, we're talking more and more about acts of cultural appropriation in both the, academ- in both the academic world and the mainstream media. Think about it. The internet uproar over Kim Kardashian's cornrows and the controversy over the myriad Native American headdresses at Coachella. But unfortunately, people still tend to pilfer from Asian styles and fashion without much thought. Part of the blame lies with the fashion industry and its longtime obsession with the undifferentiated East, quote quote. There are unique fashions from every Asian country and from different groups within those Asian countries. Asians are not a monolith. You can't just force them into one mold. They're each, each country has different styles and different traditions. But you might think otherwise based on Westerners design, Western designers' flagrant use of the Eastern or Oriental aesthetic. There is nothing wrong with paying homage to a culture you admire. But true appreciation entails some level of understanding and respect on your end. When reaching into another culture's closet, keep in mind one very simple rule. Don't turn a friend's culture into a costume. So keeping that in mind, when is it okay to draw inspiration from another culture? And when does the simple act of, say, wearing a kimono or a chipao become offensive and borderline identity theft? Let's look at some of the most recent cases of appropriation from Asian cultures to see what we can learn from them. Let's start with Yellowface. Yellowface is just as unacceptable as Blackface. Quote unquote, Asian isn't a costume you can try on for size. And yet time and time again, we see TV, movie writers, and even fashion designers using by the books Yellowface. Examples include Vogue magazine publishing photos of a white model in a geisha-inspired outfit and How I Met Your Mother dressing its cast in silk robes, having them talk in stereotypical Asian accents, all the while playing flute music and wind chimes in the background. That is disgusting and absolutely unacceptable. Such modern-day instances call to mind the ugly history of yellow face in popular culture. For decades, white entertainers have done theatrical makeup and or costumes to perform hokey versions of Asianness, just as they mocked black and native people by employing blackface and redface. 
Such racist acts serve to explore and have fun with their collective fears and anxieties surrounding the other. As actors of Asian descent continue to make strides in Hollywood, thanks to films like Crazy Rich Asians, let's all collectively agree to put these tired caricatures to bed. And while we're on the topic, another related trend we should retire is whitewashed casting. For example, Emma Stone playing a woman of Asian ancestry in 2015's Aloha, and Scarlett Johansson taking on the role of a Japanese manga character in 2017's Ghost in the Shell. The chi pao is a traditional Chinese garment, not a generic Asian dress. And please forgive me if I mispronounce that. If you feel compelled to slip a garment on, it's worth knowing its origin story. This is not some generic Asian dress. It's a garment that became a symbol of women's liberation in China. As women were allowed into the education system in the 20s, 1920s, mind you, they traded the traditional fussy robes of earlier generations for the, oh God, I can't even pronounce this, Chong Sam? I completely butchered that. Please, please, please forgive me. The chic, streamlined Chi Pao became the uniform of fashion-forward and educated women all across Beijing, Shanghai, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. So I have personally been taking online Mandarin classes for quite some time now, and I've spoken to all my classmates, I've spoken to my Mandarin teacher, who has grown up in China. She's lived in China the majority of her life. I've spoken with them all, and they all agree on one thing. And that's, it's all right for Westerners to wear the chi pao. But what's important is that you understand the significance behind the dress. That you understand the history. You understand the bloodshed that took place just for women to be able to wear that piece. Don't sexualize the dress. Don't wear it as a costume. But appreciate the background and the culture that that dress brings. But also, in addition to that, there is a proper place and a proper time to wear this beautiful dress. Point three. Okay. Dressing up in a sari and bindi is probably only fitting at an Indian wedding. Let's use Beyonce as an example for this one. She wore a traditional Indian garb, including a mantika headpiece, to an Indian wedding where traditional dress was expected, and that's okay. It's less okay that she wore a costume in a Coldplay video that reduced Indian culture to lazy stereotypes, such as magical holy men in ramshackle villages, skinny kids perpetually tossing colored powders at each other, and the country itself became a glorified set. Cultural appropriation, i.e. Beyonce in a cliche-ridden Coldplay video, is different than appreciation. Wearing a traditional sari at your South Asian friend's wedding at their request, or even just trying to learn more about Indian culture. Slapping on a bindi to complete your look at a desert music festival crosses the line into appropriation. For our last example, we'll look at the Sikh turban. The Sikh turban is a sacred article of faith, not a mere fashion accessory. Gucci faced backlash from the Sikh community earlier this year when it sent white Sikh models down the runway wearing turbans. Apparently, no one at the fashion house recognized that the turban is an article of clothing with religious significance and not just a cool-looking hat. 
all these pieces hold religious or cultural significance to their traditional owners. They also represent cultures that were subjugated and exploited by European colonists, and now being profited off of by European and American brands. One of the main things that we need to understand about discrimination against really any group of minorities is the model minority myth. So let's talk a little bit about it. So the myth of the model minority is based in stereotypes. So it's pretty much just what it sounds like. It perpetuates a narrative in which Asian American children are whiz kids or musical geniuses. Um, And within the myth of the model minority, tiger moms, as they are often called, force children to work harder and be better than everyone else, while nerdy, effeminate dads hold prestigious but not leadership positions in STEM industries like medicine and accounting. So that was a lot. So to unpack that, basically, the model minority myth is exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a stereotypical model of a minority. The myth characterizes Asian Americans as a polite, law-abiding group who have achieved a higher level of success through than the general population through some combination of innate talent and pull-yourselves-up-by-your-bootstraps immigrant striving. While most people agree that negative stereotypes of Asian Americans are harmful, some still question the harm of the model minority myth. They say, what's so bad about being part of a group that's seen as being successful? Like all stereotypes, the model minority myth erases the differences among individuals. Asian American college students have higher rates of attempting suicide than those in other groups. The model minority myth hides the pressures and paradoxes inherent within the Asian American identity. If you don't fit into the myth, it is hard to find your place at all. The model minority myth ignores the diversity of Asian American cultures. Data about Asian American achievement typically lumps this diverse population together into a singular group. Taken as a whole, it shows that Asian Americans tend to hold higher degrees and earn larger incomes than the general population. These successes are often attributed to differences in family attitudes towards education. From these metrics and attributions, the stereotype emerges that Asians are winning in their pursuit of the American dream. However, when we break these numbers down, the myth begins to shatter. Let's take pay disparities, for example. For every $1 the average white man makes in America, an Asian Indian woman makes $1.21. Whereas a Taiwanese woman would make $1.16 and a Burmese woman would make 50 cents. The experiences of these groups are not the same. The model minority myth operates alongside the myth of Asian Americans as perpetual foreigners or people who are exotic. The model minority myth is just one collection of stereotypes about Asian American people. For example, popular television and films exoticize Asian culture and peoples. If you're a man, you're a kung fu master. If you're a woman, you're a submissive sex object. If you're gender non-binary or transgender, you don't exist at all. Mickey Rooney's racist portrayal in Breakfast at Tiffany's Lives, <laughs> excuse me, in Breakfast at Tiffany's lives in our collective imagination alongside every East or South Asian actor who has played a bit part as a humorless doctor or the IT guy. Buried under these stereotypes, the message is clear. Asian Americans are all the same and are all different 
from other Americans. Asian Americans are often perceived as having assimilated better than other minority groups. While on the other hand, Asian Americans are seen as having some foreign quality that renders them as perpetual outsiders. It's a paradox familiar to every Asian American who regularly faces the question, but where are you from originally? The model minority myth erases racism against Asian Americans. It positions Asian Americans as beneficiaries of the bounty of the American dream. The myth of the model minority ignores the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. It ignores the Japanese internment in the 1940s, and it suggests that the U.S. has always been a welcoming place for people of Asian descent, in spite of the mass lynchings of Asian Americans in the 19th century and the murder of Vincent Chin in 1982. The myth persists in spite of the fact that one in seven Asian Americans in America today is undocumented and facing potential deportation, a fact that's repeatedly overlooked in our national conversation about immigration. The model minority myth says that Americans are doing well today and therefore must have benefited from an elevated status among people of color, but the reality is that we've gone through centuries of systemic discrimination. The model minority myth is harmful to the struggle for racial justice. The myth says that Asian Americans have played within the rules of the American system to their own group benefit. The success of some groups of Asian American migrants is often held as an example toward which other groups should strive. It suggests that Asian Americans are doing well and that if other groups could only work harder, and have stronger family bonds and get over their histories of oppression, they too would succeed. When paired with racist myths about other ethnic or racial groups, the model minority myth is used as evidence to deny or downplay the impact of racism and discrimination on people of color in the United States. Yikes. Given the history of that impact on black Americans particularly, the myth is ultimately a means to perpetuate anti-blackness. The model minority myth pits people of color against one another and creates a hierarchy in which Asian people are often represented at the top. By putting people of color in competition with another, the myth distracts us from striving together toward liberation for all. Let's dismantle the myth a little more. Understanding that the collective is important while individual differences still exist. I know that's a bit theoretical, so let's break it down even further. The term Asian American was coined in the late 1960s as a means of harnessing the collective power of people of Asian origin, much in the same way that the term Hispanic was first used. Asian American political identity was strongly inspired by the Black Liberation Movement, Today, more inclusive terms like Asian Pacific Islander or Asian Pacific American signal the continued need for collective striving against similar experiences of racism and imperialism within our various ethnic subgroups. This collective political identity remains very important. At the same time, focusing solely on collective identity can perpetuate the model minority myth. The experiences of the most visible Asian American ethnic groups can hide the experiences of other groups. Some studies of educational achievement have shown that certain Asian ethnic groups, particularly those from parts of East and South Asia, 
indeed score very well in some subject areas. When students from these groups constantly do better than even white students, it is easy for educators to take inherently biased actions based on the belief that all Asian students are innately intelligent and hardworking. Those same studies, however, reveal that other Asian ethnic groups have vastly different results. For example, Southeast Asian and Pacific Islander students in particular often underperform when compared with all other racial and ethnic groups. It's very important that our teachers understand the different histories and experiences of Asian Americans and Pacific Islander students and communities. Some of these communities arrived in America as refugees escaping war or genocide, and some were imported as sharecroppers to replace enslaved people of African descent after the Civil War. Still, other communities, particularly those native to various Pacific islands, were here long before white settler colonialism. As educators, they need to learn the unbiased, simplistic beliefs that we might hold about what it means to be Asian American or Pacific Islander in order to better attend to the real needs of students and communities. And directed towards educators and teachers, please feature Asian American figures and texts in your classroom. Students advocate for these because one of the most commonly felt experiences of Asian Americans is that of being invisible or erased. The model minority myth means that neither our historical struggles nor activism tend to be covered in schools and classrooms. The significant underrepresentation of Asian American educators furthers this problem. Asian American and Pacific Islander history has been a part of American history for centuries. May is AAPI Heritage Month. Use this as a starting point. But do not limit your conscious inclusion of the AAPI people and experiences to a single month. Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders comprise of the fastest growing ethnic group in the United States. We must make a conscious effort to represent these stories and people in our classroom, regardless of our own identities and those of our students. Raise awareness in yourself and others. Learn about activists like Grace Lee Boggs, Lariat Leong and Yuri Kochiyama. Again, sorry if I butchered those names. Say the name of Vincent Chin. Teachers, teach your students about Ilabat. Research Supreme Court cases like U.S. v. Bhagat Singh Thin and Lum v. Rice. Dive into data to help understand the collective and individual experiences of various Asian American and Pacific Islander groups. Check your own biases and assumptions. Don't let a student like me slip through the cracks because you expect me to be smarter or more studious than my classmates. As you raise your own awareness, you'll help those around you to understand and dismantle the model minority myth as well. And that's all we can do. We can strive for equality. We can strive for awareness. We can strive for recognition. And we can dismantle discrimination.